You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Um, I don't know. I do know they were trying to hook up the regular sound system today. Um, so I, I doubt he'll make it. Oh, okay. So <laughs> well, we probably should just start, I would guess. Started. Okay. Yeah. Um, we had to read the foreword, the preface in the first chapter. Is that correct? Yes. Anything stand out from the foreword or the preface? Oh, there's Josh. The one thing I highlighted from the preface is on page 18, just the little sentence, all of us are incurably judgmental. You know, no matter how hard we try not to be, we're always making judgments. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. You have to make judgments to survive and to live and to, to take any sort of action whatsoever. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. What did you guys think of the, in the preface, the whole thing about the age of authenticity? Did that sound, or the forward, or the forward yeah, sorry. Did that resonate or seem accurate? It felt like it was spot on with what people feel they should express themselves today. Yeah. Like if not, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It just feels like that's the common stance on how you should behave right now. Yeah. So, and yeah. I thought the authenticity was part uh, cultural rather than anything else. What he was describing, anyhow, was. Uh huh. Like that we we live in a culture that emphasizes it. Is that what? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right at the beginning, he said that nothing trumps my right to be authentic, which from a Christian perspective is nothing other than the siren call of the supreme idol self. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think we can easily see that as Christians, but it, we can also get sucked into it very easily too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> I think also just the, um, sorry the bottom of the first page he talks about the using being against authority but then using every kind of authority to power they have for certain things and kind of that i think that you can see it in the culture but then also like if you're thinking about yourself that can be that can be like an easy temptation to kind of be very selective in your uh i don't know certain things you're like i'm willing to use whatever power to like show this but then you react to the same thing as though you're just reacting to the power versus the actual uh, uh, <laughs> sorry versus like the actual topic that's being addressed it's like you're reacting to the authority but it's not uh, really mm -hmm. the authority mm -hmm. because then you're willing to use the same kind of authority for something mm -hmm. else mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's interesting about even just using the word authenticity is it really just all depends on what is what is authentic you know uh and what defines authentic because no one would really no one really appreciates fakeness or um duplicity um 
So I guess it all depends on who gets to determine what is actually authentic. Um, yeah. I wouldn't fault someone for desiring to be authentic in one sense, but it's what are you trying to be authentic to? Uh, right. I think that it goes to like the idea of just identity and um, who gets to determine your identity. You know, uh, you know, as Christians, we know that God has given us an identity and it's our job to find out what he says about us. But the rest of the world is looking to themselves for their identity. And so they're trying to be true to themselves, even though that's not where their true identity comes from. And so I think yeah. that, that that's, that's the issue behind yeah. the authentic thing. So, yeah. so what you're uh, saying, Brie, is that yeah. you're striving to be authentic. They are inauthentic because they're not authentic to the real authenticity. Right. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think it's authentic, authentic and like quotes. So I think, um, yeah, he, it's not like being necessarily like honest. Like that's not what he's saying. It's more of like what Bria is saying, being your true self. Um, and if it's not on the basis of like who Christ is, then you're just your yourself is that idol because you're trying to raise yourself above. Yeah. anything and everything else yeah mm -hmm. I was a few months ago i read a, an article it was really kind of quite troubling about this i can't remember who from whose vantage point it was written but it was essentially uh i think it was a, a husband or a wife actually was writing about why they got a divorce and married this other person and it was all entirely based around authenticity, which was, I no longer love this person. I, but I, when I met this person, it was a perfect stranger actually. And they just had this connection, you know, and, and the, the argument was that that was authentic, right? That, that natural connection with this other person and the marriage was not authentic. Um, and hence that's gone. This is what I have to do, even though it was painful and difficult. That was the authentic action to take. Um, whereas, as a Christian, you'd be like, "Well, okay, this is a great example. Let's talk about authenticity. <laughs> what is real authenticity?" Um, but yeah, our culture, I think, does. Uh, it all depends on the standard. Uh, how about the preface? Anything stand out? Helpful or insightful? Uh, I, thought, I thought it was good. Um, one questions that they have kind of leaning towards the end of the preface and also, uh, just how uh, it fits um, with <laughs> everyone within the local church or even global, um, and just how it just kind of like, well, this could help inspire the pastors as well as other elders, um, members within the congregation. Uh, um, so it's, I like how he had those different bullet points uh, just referring and encouraging it's like hey look it's not only limited to only two or three individuals like this is 
going to be inspiring to help, you know, various people. And so, um, and then also I kind of like how he talked about towards the beginning too, um, which kind of reminded me a little bit, not saying South Canada Baptist Church or RGC, but um, years past, um, you know, some congregations um, that I have visited or even my old home church, um, they would really not talk about the whole Godhead. Um, they would only talk about, you know, God the Father and Christ, but kind of leave out the Holy Spirit. Um, now, I know the conscience isn't part of the Godhead by no means, but how he was saying that, you know, really churches um, hardly even talk about the importance of conscience um, within a Christian church. I thought that was pretty interesting that he brought that up, um, which I, I, I do believe that does have a um, impact on everyone's lives. And I mean, he, he touches that uh, quite a bit, especially once we get into the chapter, but um, yeah. So I, I thought it was very a good approach um, in the manner of how he went about writing it and um, introducing it within the preface. And yeah, that's how it was well done. How, I guess I, before re starting this book, how much you guys pondered about the conscience your conscience or the topic of conscience i think the only time i've thought about it was um just like when you have a difference of conscience with someone else um so i guess i've considered that a little bit but i guess i never like getting into it in the chapter when it's defining conscience and talking about where it comes from and stuff like that. I had never considered any of that, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For me, like, I've, I wouldn't say I've thought about it a whole lot, except maybe probably again in the context of like differences in conscience, but I've sort of struggled or wondered with, like I feel like sometimes people use it as like an excuse, like, oh, that's just like, we just have different, like it's just a matter of conscience or like, they're just different consciences and instead of trying to seek to like know what the bible teaches about something or what god what what is pleasing to god and like actually trying to i guess align your conscience with with um god's standards like he talks about the in the, in the first chapter but but also like so i've kind of wondered like okay when when like obviously conscience is a thing but when is it like a matter of conscience or whatever and when is it like well this is clear like <laughs> your conscience is wrong, like, if you just say that's fine, like, uh, when, like, how do you determine that kind of thing, I guess, and then I, I like, he says it's going to be helpful if you want to learn how to adjust your conscience to match God's standards without sinning against your conscience, and I think that's something I've sort of thought about before, like, because Paul talks about, like, you know, honoring your conscience, even though, like, you're free to eat or whatever, and I've always been like, well, don't you want your conscience to, like, be as free as you are in the gospel like how do you get like yeah i guess i've always kind of wondered like so you just live perpetually under this thing that isn't like from god uh so i think it's interesting to think about how to adjust your conscience to be more in line but also be honoring it so mm -hmm. at least for me for conscience wise i mean i haven't 
like dig deep or anything um, comparing to like how the author is going to kind of lead and guide us within the book um, discussing about the conscience, but um, kind of like with uh, what Bree was saying, like interacting with some people within the, the local church um, conversation wise and just um, hints of it here and there, but not like constantly thinking about it every day or even every week. Um, but I mean, I guess the two main areas is one that you're talking about sin related, you know, um, and once again, I'm trying my best not to jump in chapter one just yet, <laughs> but, uh, like, you know, if, if the Holy Spirit's convicting you of something not to do, and yet again, you do it, even though it's not like a commandment or anything of that nature of within God's word, um, if you still do it and it's against the Holy Spirit, then, um, like, for example, um, alcohol, um, I mean, then in that case, then don't do it. Um, if that's going to really, um, bring, <laughs> uh, disobedience and displease the Lord by he, um, just ignoring the Holy Spirit in that manner, even though there's nothing wrong with alcohol itself, unless you're getting drunk, then, um, yeah, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to be sinful. Um, and then on the flip side too, I mean, like, um, just, uh, people that I know, like, um, if I invite them over to my place, I do like drinking a beer or two here and there. However, if I knew that person's like testimony or background, um, whether they're a, uh, a brother in Christ, sister in Christ, or even if they're lost in general, if I know they're tempted with alcohol, um, you know, I'm going to take that bottle opener <laughs> off my wall and just like show no evidence that alcohol is related at least that time that they're here visiting not that i'm trying to hide anything of like you know my enjoyment it's just i don't want to show anything that would tempt them mm -hmm. with their conscience or um, for them to disobey the holy spirit or lead them to temptation yeah yeah uh, I'm really curious of uh, once we get further into this book, more about like the areas that he's going to touch for conscience. Because really, that's really the main areas that I kind of think about. Or um, within the New Testament, it talks about how some um, struggled um, with the the meat that they were sacrificing, and, and um, some of the brothers and sisters, you know, they would go about eating the meat. They really didn't feel. Um, like their conscience or that the Holy Spirit was um, telling them not to eat of that meat that was made to these false gods. Um, but those who were like younger or weaker in the faith, you know, they were, they were struggling with that and that would lead them to sin if they did go about eating um, that sacrificial meat. And so they didn't go about doing it. So yeah. Uh, once again, <laughs> Pretty, pretty interested about this book and our, our conversations. Were there topics that they raised on the conscience in the preface that you're like, oh, I never thought conscience was related to that or um, sort of surprised you? I never no. thought a book on conscience would talk about. Sorry, Jay. questions I uh, would say about that, like that one question. <laughs> Um, 
how should you calibrate or adjust your conscience, I guess. Um, I just view that as like a work of the Holy Spirit, like working in you and sanctifying you. I don't understand, I guess, really how yourself, I guess, as you become more and more sanctified in the Lord and knowing, I guess, your conscience better and the Lord speaking to you through the Holy Spirit, how, I guess, how one would actually go about adjusting your conscience without, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't understand that question and how, how you would do that without the Lord's help or without the Holy Spirit working through you. I don't think, <clears throat> I know that question is kind of, I don't know, misleading to me because I don't think you can really adjust your conscience without the work of the Holy Spirit working in you and yeah. helping learn right from wrong. And I think that's a, a work of the Lord in the sanctification yeah. process. Yeah. Um, but, and then it gets down into those questions and you might be one of the following or whatever but so i guess if you you can't answer that question then um, yeah yeah i think the question of i think they use the word calibrate how to calibrate or adjust your conscience is a very interesting one um yeah when does he get to it well, <clears throat> i thought it was interesting that he said that uh your conscience is like a gift from God. And so failing to like listen to it and to give it the, uh, I don't know, time and seriousness is like neglect. So I, I guess I hadn't viewed consciousness as a gift, which mm. is, I hadn't thought of it that way because it is. Yeah. So I interesting insight on it. Like it's a gift to try to guide you in living out a better life according to God's will. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah, because I think like even unbelievers have a conscience, but they're obviously not, you know, their morality, I guess, isn't the same as a Christian that has the Holy Spirit working in them, telling them right from wrong. Or Yeah. I thought his story about the cultural stuff was really interesting uh, about stepping over people's legs or whatever yeah yeah i think it's really helpful to think about culture and conscience too and you know i i was talking to justin when we read it like probably in in certain cultures yeah like a christian's conscience should bother them about something if if culturally it you know communicates something that's like contrary to scripture is like this is unloving in this culture and so yeah it should bother your conscience but then in another culture where it's not unloving then it shouldn't bother your conscience so your conscience is like i guess maybe like there's like principles in the bible but then your conscience also operates within a culture and so mm -hmm. that's kind of just an interesting thing yeah. to think about that's interesting to me too because i think we all have our own like microcultures within America too, you know, yeah. and like some of the things that bother, have bothered my conscience in the past were because of my family culture. You know what I mean? And I think one church to another can have 
cultural differences where, you know, we mostly agree on these things. So then you move to a different church that has a different culture and wait, not everyone agrees on this, you know? So I just think it's all kind of culture related um, for the most part. It's just that we have, you know, American culture has so many little tiny subcultures within it. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting when you then think about the church, which is supposed to be a gathering of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, uh, what that will look like as far as having to work through conscience and culture kind of stuff uh, makes this kind of book rather significant. Um, I was actually glad that one of the folks that they brought in was to help write the book was actually a missionary because um, there are a lot of questions that come about when you're in a different cultural situation. Um, how about uh, chapter one? How, what, what are some things that kind of go into what is a conscience? Because I think chapter one and two are about defining conscience. Um, so what is conscience? I think it's a gift from God. I think Brie just said that. And, yeah. And that's beyond us. It's, I don't know, transcendent. I don't know if that's what you would say, but it's something I think that God has given us to decipher like right from wrong. And, uh, it's there in everybody and everybody knows it's there, but nobody can really explain how it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, I've started reading Mere Christianity and the first portion of that book is kind of arguing moral law or the law yeah. of human nature and how there's a standard and everybody knows there's a standard, but nobody can really tell where it comes from, like a moral standard and people that argue against it, like atheists, and they don't say that there is a moral standard, it's instincts, but he... Yeah gives a really good argument against how no there is a moral standard because once something somebody does something against you and you believe that wrong is wrong or they believe that's wrong it's coming from somewhere and yeah there's obviously a standard and i don't know if that gets into the conscience but i think it has a lot to do with the conscience and how um i guess how god has wired us yeah discern right from wrong and what's moral what's not moral yeah but people choose to in this day culture kind of skew that to work in their best interests or what they think is authentic Mm -hmm. christians nowadays are becoming more and more authentic because what's wrong is becoming more normal yeah, and I think they're becoming more authentic, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, it's. Actually, it is striking uh, the the term authentic versus moral. Um, you know, the idea that something's authentic or inauthentic doesn't really have the same level of that is good or that is evil that is right or that is wrong it's definitely ratcheted down a little bit even though it's 
more or less how people kind of make their moral decisions. So conscience is a gift from God. What are some other... I thought it was interesting how he said that it's inherent in personhood, not the result of sin. It's not something that we lose after God glorifies us. And that's kind of, I don't know, I found that hopeful because, I mean, once sin is out of the picture and we're just, you know, never going against our conscience, that's going to be pretty great. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I also found it fascinating that your conscience feels independent. That was something I'd never thought about, but yeah, it does. It sounds like it's someone outside of yourself. Yeah. You know, condemning you or approving you. Yeah. It's, it's very odd that way. <laughs> it's, it's actually interesting. They use the example of the angel and demon on the shoulder. And if you think about it, you know, it's like you got that or you got Jiminy Cricket, you know, like really whenever it gets portrayed, it is personified as something, something that exists outside of you. Like, your little annoying person that walks around with you, you know, uh, I thought that that, that was definitely kind of an intriguing, uh, point or insight. I think also just his point about how it wants to be an on off switch and not a dimmer, like that it's, it's your conscience is black and white. <laughs> uh, and I think that maybe that's why there's like people's, when people's consciences disagree, it's kind of, a challenge <laughs> it is like an on off switch and it's supposed to be that way but you want it to be in line with god's right and wrongs mm -hmm. <laughs> which are black and white uh in one sense, in one sense yeah. <laughs> but yeah what do you think about the analogy of um ann and bill I thought that was good uh really really appreciated how they showed it diagrams for each page on 27 and 28 matching Anne and Bill's and then also God's and um, showing the the same areas that they agree but the differences which of course there's probably more differences <laughs> in certain areas and um, it, I actually thought it was kind of funny a little bit um, on page 27 uh, Bill was talking about like entertainment um, um, from movies or theaters and games and Anne is like why in the world you know and in her mind that's it kind of sounded like reading it she's like that's that's stupid <laughs> but yeah. at the same time it, it reminded me of the conversation that I had with a camper some years back when I was a counselor up in Alaska uh, this camper he was pretty young and uh, he is he being pretty cocky and arrogant to be honest with you so uh, he's like, Stephen, you know, Call of Duty is completely wicked and stupid, and people shouldn't go about playing that game, shooting each other, and like that's just inspiring people to murder, and just on and on. And like, you know what? You had some pretty good, valid points right there. Um, yes, society should not be inspired to murder by no means, but yet again, there's warfare that takes place all throughout history, even to modern day. So I mean, and there's different reasons. So you know, we could talk about different areas um, about that. But for the argument's sake, um, video games. I'm like, well, maybe the people who are playing aren't really inspired to murder. Maybe they're just actually just gathering 
um, to play online with friends because they're across the country or the world. And that's the only means other than a phone call because really FaceTime and Google Hangout and all that, I don't think that is as popular. Um, I think there's, um, I, I forgot what you even call it. Anyways, there's one app that you could kind of do what we're doing now, but it was, I don't know, it had a lot of glitches and everything. So it didn't work all the time. Anywho, I was just sharing with the kid and I'm like, you know, you know, I, I get where you're coming from and I respect that. But also keep in mind, too, you know, people don't always have that view of what you're talking about either. So, yeah. Anyways, I thought it was pretty interesting. Just Ann and Bill's conversation and and just thinking about like, all right, how how can we be respectful and loving towards one another? As y'all shared earlier, our conscience is a gift from God. And page 26 talks about how each of us have a, a unique um, conscience that God has given each one of us because we're all different um, when it comes to our conscience. So um, I, I know our conscience is a spiritual gift, but then at the same time, um, I'm just relating that just for the manner of, you know, each one of us, because of the Holy Spirit living, dwelling within us. I mean, we all have unique gifts. I mean, so no one's better than anyone else within the body of Christ because we all play certain roles. So kind of looking at the conscience in the same way of like, well, all right, we all have a, a unique gift just as a spiritual, um, spiritual, the Holy Spirit gives us, uh, you know, spiritual gifts. Well, God gave us, you know, a, a unique uh, creative way for conscience for each one of us so yeah um just thought it was real good inspiring it's just how to relate uh, to people who differ um whether it's within our own culture or society or around the world um yeah just as long as it comes back and uh he he does mention um i can't remember which page it is but it does talk about, you know, as long as your conscience doesn't try triumph over God, then, I mean, pretty much it's, it's safe. But if it's going against God's word or if it's going against the Holy Spirit, which um, I would still tie that in to um, God's word because the Holy Spirit is part of Godhead. <laughs> so um, as long as you're not allowing your conscience to be an idol over God, then... Yeah, it's it's pretty much um, good to go by. Um, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, conscience. Um, um, one thing I'm grateful for is he mentions in here that our consciences are actually far more aligned than we realize. And I guess I'm glad for that common grace that the image of God and the conscience is still intact enough that even people who are far from God still stop at red lights and don't cut in line. And you know, <laughs> you can just imagine we do. There's a, there's a lot that we share, and then there's much to celebrate even within a congregation of just how much we really do have in common. It can be easy for us to, to, um, to kind of focus in on those, those handful of things, and they should be worked through. They're not insignificant, but I think sometimes we forget just like how, how um, gracious God has been to bring, you know, a lot of intuitive agreement on a whole lot of things that 
you know, is really just an evidence of his grace. So, yeah. um, and then the other thing I was thinking about is that really everything is trying to shape our con conscience. I mean, you just scroll through your Facebook feed. I mean, everybody and everything is trying to kind of recalibrate your understanding of where you're free and where you're not free, what you should think and what you shouldn't think, um, everything. We are always, always doing that, almost every conversation, and we're supposed to do so according to the gospel and God's word. I'm even thinking about, you know, the prayer that I'll pray today. Um, that's going to have a shaping influence. Um, the scripture readings, the sermon, the sermon is all about a reshaping of the conscience, hopefully closer to God's word. So. Mm -hmm. um, I think once you begin to, like, you know, we often overlook our conscience, but I think once we have these categories and as we go through this book, we're going to be going, oh, man, we are doing this all the time, <laughs> mm -hmm. all the time. Let's do it faithfully in a way that honors Christ. And um, yeah. so pastorally, that, that's something that's very important because when you step behind that pulpit and open God's word, what you're saying better accord with God's word because you are binding consciences, yeah. but loosing them. And so... You're either leading people towards God or away from God with every sentence. And so that's, yeah. we have to be careful what we use the pulpit for, what we use our Bible studies for, um, because when we say and when we open our Bibles, we are kind of implicitly saying we should bind ourselves, you know, we should be adjusting our consciences. And yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's a dangerous thing, so, yeah. but a good thing. I'm interested to see if they'll talk historically, you know, at the Reformation, that was actually a huge issue was a lot of ways that the church had overstepped its bounds in saying this is what people need to do. Um, and so that became a rather contentious point. It's interesting even how culturally we shape conscience like, um, like, well, in the foreword actually he was talking about like how, you know, certain things from the past you kind of suppress your conscience you know in terms of like sexual matters but then then you kind of then there's like the new thing like about fair trade or food or whatever like where that's like now the cultural in thing to like really have a sensitive conscience about mm -hmm. and i don't know it's kind of interesting i know justin read an article one time about how like food is the new sex of like our culture as far as like conscience and moral like mm -hmm. Um, thinking and it's not like that our culture actually it's not like society actually throws out morals it's like it replaces them or like you still have you still need to have the you still have these stand standards and like taboos and things but we've just shifted them around mm -hmm. like um, and kind of changed our conscience mm -hmm. but it's still there yeah yeah, I think it's sort of what Pastor yeah, Josh like was just... Yeah, everything is every, shaping your conscience. And everybody has one. And I think that's sort of what Jamie was also pointing out with regards to the, the C.S. Lewis. Everybody is... And they made the point that often we think of conscience as just something that happens in the church. But yeah, it is, it's a universal thing because, as they point out, it's tied to the image of God. Um, because God is a moral being and we're made in God's image, we are also moral beings um, and can't help it. We'll never be able to escape being moral beings. I think, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, once we degenerate to completely amoral. <laughs> right. Immoral. Those two principles at the very end, principle two, obey it, and principle one, God is the Lord, the only Lord of conscience, are really, really important. Even a bad conscience is better than no conscience. So, you know, even if we find someone who just is, is, almost their conscience seems to be almost exactly wrong. We have to remember there's a lot of things that are probably still good there and a, 
and a, a broken steering wheel is still better than no steering wheel, right? And that's kind of what our conscience is. So yeah. um, even as we seek to evangelize or you know, confront people, to, to, you know, um, to, to smash a conscience is, is never, never the right thing to do. We need to try to feed it, cultivate it. Um, that internal governor needs to be reclaimed by the gospel and God's word and not overrun. So uh, that's why the Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8 are so important is because if we're stepping on each other's consciences, we are sinning. Even if we're right, we're sinning. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's where it gets really tricky. But that's, I think that's a, that's a really, really critical mm-hmm. one there is that we want people to obey their consciences. And uh, we have to be patient in terms of informing and correcting. Mm-hmm. We cannot smash and run over. That's just, that's going to backfire in the long run. So, yeah, super important. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to jump off, guys. See you in a bit. We're going to close yeah. down here in a moment. I thought it was interesting how we connected the insensitive and the oversensitive consciences as going together, usually, actually. You kind of would think, like, okay, some people have an oversensitive conscience, some people have an insensitive conscience, but actually, it's kind of like, you're you're oversensitive in one area and insensitive in another area and they they go together i don't Mm -hmm. know that struck me kind of Mm -hmm. i thought about like the like insensitive being today because it's like we're everybody's trying to conform to the culture today so that would be being insensitive and then the oversensitive i thought of like the pharisees and the sadducees making up like 600 new rules because of something maybe that their conscience told them or what they over i guess i don't know Mm -hmm. over exaggerated laws in the old testament to mean and so they made up all kinds of different laws to impose i don't know if that was just because of one leader and his conscience told him to Mm -hmm. add these laws or what but I think that can be dangerous if you have a leader that's oversensitive and adding laws or rules that are like he says in the last or when he's talking about Ann and Bill unnecessary and mm-hmm. but in power that starts having an oversensitive conscience that's oh I need to do this and do this and do that and it becomes legalism. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where you have to like he talks about not imposing it on other people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think one one kind of key thing to think through practically as we go through this book is <clears throat> what does it mean to take your conscience seriously while also taking church unity seriously? I think is a I mean, that's one of the key ways that Paul addresses uh that Paul addresses in Romans and in Corinthians. And I think it's something we we need to be <coughs> Yeah, what does church unity look like when we uh, are also trying to take care of our individual consciences before God? Anything when you think about that culturally, like I would say, even when thinking about like racial issues, I know there's theological things that come up sometimes, and uh, yeah, that's something to that I was kind of interested in this book because of just thinking about like, okay, sometimes my conscience maybe is like oh my goodness, how can you believe that? Or this is syncretistic or whatever, but like other people's consciences 
are okay with something and how to work through mm -hmm. that and then church unity too where like you know we have brothers and sisters in different cultures that really are loving the lord and we have different consciences mm -hmm. yeah yeah kind of going off a little bit what pastor josh was saying i mean we're not being destructive amongst one another i mean because church unity i mean by showing unity and communion with one another i mean we're showing love, so we're being obedient to what Christ was telling us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And, and I mean, so we'll be honoring the body of Christ. Um, but if our conscience is going over and try to triumph over other people and force upon them and being um, afflictive and destructive, then, I mean, that's not of the Lord at all. That's not unity. <laughs> if anything, that's separation. Um, so. Uh, yeah um I'm just going off what he was saying earlier and probably repeating myself but you know as as long as your conscience isn't trying to be god itself um then yeah yeah well any final final reflections I think we should close here in a moment. Any things that are burdening your heart right now that you have to share about the preface forward chapter one? Bree, would you close us in prayer? Yes, certainly. Father, thank you for the gift of conscience. Thank you for giving us um, something that will uh, warn us if we are about to overstep your laws. Um, but we do pray that you would help us to understand our consciences, help us to calibrate them to your word so that we are not um, imposing uh, restrictions that you don't want us to impose. Um, and so I just pray that you would help us as we study this to, to really understand and really um, see how it relates to our, our own uh, decisions and judgments, but also how it relates to um, the unity of the church and understanding each other when we might disagree. And we just pray that you would uh, just send your spirit to inform us and to um, convict us and to change our hearts so that we can live the way you would have us live and so that we can be um, a model of a community full of different people um, who are unified in you and we pray that that would be a witness to the watching world god we pray for our service today that you would um, be with jordan as he preaches that you would be with the songs and the prayers and our interactions with one another um, Please just uh, encourage our hearts and um, prepare us to live on mission for you for the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. We'll see you soon. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Bye, y'all. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.